either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, not a lot of quantity this week for new releases, but definitely some quality. So let's dig into them. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com, and let's start with the latest from Wes Anderson. Following a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small, rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his worldview disrupted forever. It's called Asteroid City. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did he, how did he look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing Jeffy Jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying her mother died three weeks ago. Let's say she's in heaven, which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. In my loneliness, I learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. They're strange, aren't they? They're children. Compared to normal people. Yes, that's correct. It's true. Freight train, freight train, going so fast. It's hard to sum up Wes Anderson movies in a succinct synopsis because so much is going on. (laughs) You've got so many characters with usually really unique names uh, (laughs) and all these different things, all these different things going on. And that's definitely the case here. And by now, you probably know whether you like Wes Anderson movies or not, because he has, maybe more than anyone else, he has an identifiable style. Yes, he does. So much that if anyone else tries to copy it, and I think we just saw that kind of challenge going around yeah, social media. We were part of one. I was going to say, I think we kind of saw it, yes. You know, that's did. that's really a testament to to his craftsmanship, because he's built this kind of aesthetic, mm-hmm. this kind of craftsmanship that is all him. Yeah. And if you don't like it, stay far away from this movie. <laughs> yes. Because, and you know, we, we've said this before, like of all the Wes Anderson movies, this is the most Wes anderson And I don't know <laughs> if it's the most. I have to still maybe go with Grand Budapest Hotel. But it might be. It might be the most maybe Wes Anderson-like. Now, we didn't love uh, his last one. French Dispatch. We didn't dislike it. it it's, a, it's like a series of short films, and each of the short films is great, but maybe didn't hang together quite as well as some yeah, of his to, best work. To me, it left the characters, again, so many, mm-hmm. uh, and with another great ensemble, mm-hmm. as this one has, uh, left them sort of out adrift, dangling. Right. They weren't connected by anything, any sort of emotion. At least that's the way it felt like to me. Now, that's not the case here. No, I really think that, that yeah, this is a step up. This is a step in the right direction for him. And it, and it's, it's first of all, of course, it's visually stunning. Oh, yes. You know, and I, I just always feel like I just want to watch it 95 times so I can be looking at a different thing this time because there's so, so much going on. There's so much in every frame. The framing is just perfect. Yeah, and if if you don't know how to really sum up his his style, you've got this this framing that many times just looks like a still picture right. and then he'll be, he'll move the camera very statically and all the there's so much symmetry going on yes. in the shot. He's very committed to that. He's very committed to color palettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, very committed to and I try the cha- the challenge is to talk about a Wes Anderson movie without using the word quirky. It is. 
because that's tired, really. But the dialogue is a little peculiar, peculiar in, a, in an endearing way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the characters, like we said, all have these sort of weird but endearing names, like Conrad Earp. Yes. And that's the name <laughs> of the writer that's at the heart of this story, played by Edward Norton. And, and again, you've got so many great actors, familiar faces in this ensemble, some that aren't really on screen for very long. No. They don't have much of a part of it, no. but it's probably just a joy to be a part of a production like this. And it follows Conrad Earp, and he's got the story that this centers around. So we see, we hear him talking about it, obviously, and he's played, did I say he played with Ed Norton? Mm-hmm. Okay. And But then you've got a story within a story, because then we see that story being adapted into either a play or a movie. Well, what I think is happening, based on uh, Brian Cranston, who serves as our narrator between <laughs> yeah. the two different, yeah. you know, is that uh, Earp is writing a play, and it probably maybe eventually did get produced as a play, but for sure they made it into a movie, yeah. unless it's a TV show that we're seeing. <laughs> and so what you see is in black and white, you see kind of the the, the gestation period and, and where they're de- developing it and deciding what to do with it. And and then in color you see what is either the TV show or the movie version of of that story, and it's you know it sounds it sounds almost intentionally um, distancing, but actually it's I think it's very purposefully distancing. Oh, yeah. And I think the whole thing uh, does a lot of things, but one of the things it's sort of how we separate ourselves. We create these very tidy worlds that keep us from chaos. And, you know, the chaos of grief in this case or, uh, you know, it, it, the the wonders of the universe and the chaos that that could bring. You know, and I think that that a lot of his films are like that. You've got you've got like these central characters who are sort of uh, trying to maintain this very structured existence because it's protective to them. And I think that the best of his films and this is one of those really explores kind of that tension between trying to keep yourself from chaos and, and real chaos like you know, uh, our, our main character just he can't seem to he can't seem to grapple with the grief of losing his wife. And so this movie star who happens to also be trapped. in <laughs> Yeah. Town, well, the, the first guy you talked about, Augie, Augie is played by Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. He's a war photographer yeah. and he's got his kids. They, they're coming to this asteroid city along with a lot of other people for this stargazing mm-hmm. event. And a lot of people are there, like you mentioned, including Midge Campbell, who's a movie star. And she's only there because her daughter is one of the stargazers. It's right. not a movie played, related thing. She's just there as a mom. And but everybody is like, oh, Midge and, Campbell. You're right. And that's Scarlett Johansson. And uh, and then Augie's car breaks down. So to come rescue, to the rescue, is Augie's father-in-law, played by Tom Hanks, in the role that's usually reserved for Bill Murray. Yes, it's clearly in, the Bill Murray In Wes role. Anderson But it was fun to see it was. Tom Hanks play that role. It was. He was very good, as he always is. Very much so. And then, they'll, then all the people that are here in Asteroid City end up having to stay because the government locks it down when a real live alien shows up and steals the city's prized meteorite. Mm-hmm. After that, everybody's on lockdown and, you know, everybody has to stay there. And as they interact, what you just talked about is very true. It's the chaos and grief because, you know, Augie, his his wife has apparently been dead for a couple of weeks yeah. and he hasn't even told his kids. No. Uh, so, <laughs> and then he and Midge have uh, like cabins next to each other and they start to grow, grow closer. And but- she's clearly, as she's kind of rehearsing for something that's coming up soon, she makes him run lines with her because she sees that he also really has a hard time just tapping into his own grief. And that's yeah. that's an interesting, and then at the same time, there's all this 
science going on that's right. very fun. There's a there's a like a maybe a sixth grade. There's a class. Class that's there. Yep. The teacher keeps they get stuck teaching anyway because yep. they're stuck there. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, that's Miss June, and that's played by Maya Hawk. And then you've got well, who else? Steve Carell is the manager yeah. of the of the area there, oh, the yeah. campground. And then Liv Schreiber, Hope Davis and Liv Schreiber, Hope Davis. are parents uh, of some of the yeah. other kids who were there. Jeff Goldblum, Jeff, just yeah. on and on oh, and yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But I think what you talk about, the themes are correct, and also it's set in 1955, so you've also got a feeling of Cold War paranoia going on and then themes of you mentioned science art and science yep. uh, but there is a and i think the thing that bet that really buoys this film especially compared to french dispatch there's a real humanity yes. under all this mm-hmm. i mean the, the the dialogue and the interactions are often cold and and de- and distanced detached, uh, detached yeah. but there uh, there's a real humanity underneath it all mm-hmm. that connects the characters and i think makes the film elevates the film to some of his some of his best work you mentioned it it looks great the the ensemble is fantastic. It's funny in that dry sort of way. Yes. You know, we've mentioned many times that humor is very, very you know personal to people, but I think it's funny. Oh yeah, and, I thought it was very. And funny. again, we go back to this. If you like the style and the humor of Wes Anderson, I, I think you will find this funny. We certainly did. Very dry, but gorgeous to look at, and it's just an interesting type of. It's an interesting type of way that Anderson gets to these themes and the messages. And one of the messages for sure, I think, especially with the amount of times that he repeats a certain line at the end of the movie, is to just forget your, give yourself over to things like art, like science. And it's trying to, they're trying to speak to you and let yourself uh, hear what the the things are trying to say and leave the other noise behind because uh, there's, there's something to be gained. Yes. Yeah, and just scanning down the list of actors that we haven't mentioned, Jeffrey Wright. Also, we got to say Jake, Tilda. Tilda Swinton, of course, our favorite Tilda Swinton, Sophia Lillis, and Jake Ryan. Yes. Who's a young actor that sounds like a character, a spy character or something, but we remembered him from eighth grade. He doesn't seem to have aged. He was. He doesn't. No. He doesn't seem to have aged, and he just steals some scenes. He is the oldest son of Jason Schwartzman's character, and... He makes friends with Midge, Scarlett Johansson's daughter. Yes. They're both very interested in the stargazing and everything. Um, yeah, he is just a riot. Yeah, He's he a, a st- scene stealer. But it's a great ensemble. And again, one of, we think, one of Wes Anderson's best. And for us, kind of a rebound from this French dispatch. And it's Asteroid City on theaters right now. Next up, a comedy, R-rated comedy. On the brink of losing her home, Maddie finds an intriguing job listing. Helicopter parents looking for someone to bring their introverted 19-year-old son out of his shell before college. She has one summer to make him a man or die trying. It's no hard feelings. I'm an Uber driver and I don't have a car. I'm going to lose my house. You think I chose him? Look at this. Need a car? Date our son this summer and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal. Date is in quotes. It's gotta be a joke, right? We've just been so worried about our son. He's going to Princeton in the fall. No, oh, I've heard of it. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room. He doesn't talk to girls. He doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. Date him hard. Okay. I'll date his brains out. How about I give you a ride home? Um, this isn't the way to my house. You're my hostage. What you got down there? Something for me? <laughs> Why? You tried kidnapping me! You're 19, grow up! 
Jennifer Lawrence is funny, and she has been funny in a number of dramas. Yeah. But as far as I know, this is her first outright comedy, and yeah. she owns it. She's in almost every oh, scene, yeah. and, and she's really funny. She's really good. Well, first of all, she's just really good, period. Yeah, she is. But also, she's funny in the way that how we love where Melissa McCarthy is angry funny. Yeah, yeah. She, she really has a good handle on angry funny mm-hmm. and pissed off funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she is good, and she owns it. And this is a trailer that I that hooked me right away. I thought the trailer looked very, very funny. And you know the both of us, we're always, we're always up for a raunchy comedy. Yes. And this is one. Now, it's not the hilarious, you know, LOL from start to finish that the, the trailer had me hoping it would be. But it still delivers... Some we so- laughed. Yeah, yeah, we did we laugh. It delivers some solid laughs if it ends up maybe taking the whole subject matter a, a, a bit too lightly. Maybe it doesn't see it through to the end. But yeah, we definitely laughed. And, and she is, as the synopsis said there, she's she's kind of down on her luck. She's an Uber driver and she's lost her car and at a bad, bad time because it's summer season in the area where she lives, Montauk. Montauk. So there's a lot of uh, tourists coming in. And she make a lot of money and she needs the money to pay the taxes on her house. And it's her family's house. Her mom is passed. She doesn't want to lose the house. Uh, so it's a bad time to lose a car. So, yeah, kind of a weird want ad. We'll give you a car if you, quote, unquote, date our son. But that's the kind of uh, the, that's the kind of deal that she gets into. And um, Matthew Broderick is the dad of, of this, the, uh, the boy, the 19-year-old boy, who, yeah, is just is very, very introverted. Uh, they're both worried. Uh, the mom and the dad are worried that when he goes off to Princeton, he's just he's just not ready because he never comes out of his room. And he doesn't have any friends, let alone girlfriends. Although they've checked his porn history, and he's definitely straight. And that brings in one of the helicopter parenting issues because they have all his passwords, right? They can check up on him all the time. He's 19 years old. He's yeah, but an he adult. knows it. He's he aware know. that yeah. they can track him on his phone. He's aware yeah. of that. And yeah. that, and he's constantly like, oh, i got to call my parents. And yeah. she just keeps saying to him, why right. are you an adult? You know, there's yeah. at one point he goes, he goes, we need to find an adult. And she goes, you are an adult. <laughs> so it actually does. It brings up some serious issues between a couple of different generation specifically the the generation that was raised with this media and raised by by having your interactions uh, many of them online and not in person and i think that's a worthy issue because remember when our, when our son was growing up and then a little bit after him we found out that so many of the kids of that age didn't really care at the time about getting their driver's license. It's just still, it's and still we were rampant. Like, what? I know it's still rampant. A, and, a friend of mine, we were just talking about this the other day that their kids are old enough and yeah. haven't done it yet. And so we we couldn't understand that. No. And so this it sort of plays on some of those things, especially when they get into the dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thinks, Maddie thinks, this is going to be over pretty quickly. He's a young boy. He's going to want. He's going to work. He's going to want to sleep with me. And boom, boom, boom. It's going to be done. I'll get my car. And that's not the case. And because his he makes it clear that his personal relationships are formed much differently than hers are. Right. And I think that raises funny, funny, uh, you know, situations, but also some some worthy conversations and and worthy subject matter about the two about different sorts of of generations. But you do get into some funny, some funny physical comedy. Mm -hmm. And she definitely owns that. Yeah, she does. Before we I mean, there's there. Yeah, there are some scenes where. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where you're like, oh my lord, that's happening right now, <laughs> um, and and uh, you know, hats off for that. But I also, I, you got to call out the kid, Andrew Barth Feldman is his name, and he was he was Evan Hansen uh, as a replacement. Yes. Eventually, he's an eventual Evan Hansen on Broadway. Yes, and this movie does 
bring into play his musical talent. In fact, you'll never listen to Maneater the same way again. No. Uh, he can play piano and he can sing and they let him do it and he has a rendition of Maneater that is quite uh, quite impressive. Yeah, it is. And, and it's a really, actually, it's a really it is. salient point that he's making. It's a really important moment in yeah. the film. I appreciated it. But more than that, I appreciated his performance because it's, you know, that this film would not have worked if the kid was just you know, a stereotypical, you know, one-dimensional nerd character. And he's not. He's a lovely kid. Yes. You know, he's sheltered, absolutely, but he's also got a backstory that helps to explain why he doesn't like to come out of his room. And and, and just the performance is great. He's so tender. You root for him so much. You never feel like he's being mocked. Mm -hmm. And it would be so easy for him to be the one being mocked, like mm -hmm. mocked in a hateful or contemptful way. Y you love this kid so much. Yeah, you definitely do. And this is the co-writer and director is Gene Stupnitsky, and he co-wrote with John Phillips. And they both wrote, I believe they wrote Good Boys, mm -hmm. and then one of them had something to do with Bad Teacher. The other one had something to do with... Dirty Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa. So they know there are rated comedies. That seems to be their playground. Good Boys I liked a lot. Yeah. That I, I liked I a well. lot. And I yeah. thought, Bad Teacher, that has some moments. Yeah, uh, Dirty Grandpa I could live without. <laughs> but this definitely does bring the laughs. Um, and also it, it has a... It, it gets more... More heart, more touchy feely, I think, than I anticipated. Than the than the trailer might lead you to believe, because it, it gets you know everybody learns something today. You know she does. She has some growing up to do, even though she's in her thirty whatever, and he does as well. So we learn and we grow, and it is sweet. There's a sweetness to it, I guess, that a lot of maybe some of these uh, R-rated raunchy comedies don't have, and maybe they don't see see it through to the very end. Like they bring up some of these again, some serious issues and just kind of let him dangle and and some of the plot turns are a little ridiculous and light but all right let's let it let it go and laugh because we were laughing we were yeah. laughing and all both performances both are very performances. good well and that's the thing so many great comedies can rise and fall on the characters mm -hmm. is, it, is it character driven comedy i think when it is those are the ones that have the most staying power. And I think this these are two good characters by two good actors, mm -hmm. and, and it works, I think, even in the face of some ridiculousness. Yes. Lots of ridiculousness. But, I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of, you know, ridiculous situations. Yeah. They, they fuel these kind of films. They and, do. And, and they certainly do here. But yeah, I think enough that once or twice I thought, oh, but is this just going to be antics after antics after antics? But it, it isn't. No, it isn't. It isn't. So I, th I think for the main, for the most part, it does work. It's not a laugh riot, a laugh a minute, but it's solid and, and two really good performances at the center of it. And let me just say also a nod to a couple of supporting performances. Um, Natalie Morales. Who's always good. Who's always good. And, like by, and, everything. and by the way, if you haven't seen, she directed her own movie with... Um, uh, Duplass, Mark Duplass. Yeah, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh Language, language lessons. lessons. Look it up. Very good. Uh, she plays like a best friend. Like in this one, yeah, yeah, in this one. And then her husband, played by Jim MacArthur. They're both really good they side are. characters, and they get off some funny, some funny business yes, as well. They do. So yeah, so it's worth checking out. And that is the comedy No Hard Feelings out in theaters now. Okay, let's go to VOD Prime Video for a western. Always up for a good western. Former Buffalo Soldier Mo Washington travels west to lay claim on a gold mine after her stagecoach is ambushed. Mo is tasked with holding a dangerous outlaw captive and must survive the day when the bandit's gang tries to free him. This is called Surrounded. After the war, I made a promise that I'll fight for those that can't fight for themselves. It looks like we believe in the same thing. And I have to Just go about it different ways. 
Let's go about it together. My body's I didn't get a piece of my promised land. Didn't get the river slow on milk and honey. You have to take what you deserve. You know, there's money buried out here. I think you best unchain me now. Follow you or die. Yeah. Baby girl, you in dangerous water. You can be a hero! The glory of it! Tommy Walsh and the colored girl! What's my name? Dug it. Did dig it. And mm-hmm. if that synopsis made you think a little bit about 310 to Yuma, all right, I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. It had some 310 to Yuma vibes. But this this is solid, also driven by a couple of good performances at the center of it. First of all, the main character, Mo, is Letitia Wright, who you will know probably as the new Black Panther, and also the uh, the scoundrel, the famous outlaw who she is tasked with guarding, played by Jamie Bell, also very good. Now, one of the things, actually, that the uh, that the synopsis itself might have you con- confused by is that, so Letitia Wright is playing, she she's a female, but she is dressed like a man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, it, and it actually makes perfect sense, because being uh, a black char- black person at this time in history would be dangerous enough. Being a black woman traveling alone would be very perilous. Yeah, because this, so, is, this is set just after the Civil War. Yes, so five she's years still after. getting a lot of a lot of flack about show me your papers yes, kind of thing. Yeah, and 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 so that explains everything. And also, I mean, she is quite a beanpole, and and you know, with the hat on, she can actually. If you watch the trailer, she's convincing enough until yeah. you get a close up. And so yeah. I think that it works very well. Um, and I think actually the way the film manages. Her being able to conceal herself. White people don't give a second thought. They see the outfit and they just, they never think that she's a female. The first time a black character, see, he right away, gal, what are you doing out here? From <laughs> yeah. from a far distance, you yeah. know? And I think it, it quietly says something about who actually is paying attention to her. She's being written off by oh, most oh. of the people in the film. In fact, in the very beginning when she is given the job of, looking watching out and guarding this captive the other guy's like what are you kidding me yeah he's tommy walsh the famous tommy walsh she's never going to be able to do that so right away she's taken for granted yeah and then well and then among the last lines in the film i thought really uh clarify exactly how mistreated human beings can be mm-hmm. um and it's a very powerful movie because it also doesn't beat you about the head with that it's just sort of it, this is how things are it doesn't stop and editorialize it just kind of gives you a glimpse but also i mean it rises and falls and it's also got some great action it really does it's got some great shoot 'em up action and some nice cinematography it does it's really. a gorgeous they're movie. out there in the in the wilderness yeah. and we should say the director is anthony mandler so yeah, it's got some some good action and some good landscapes, and it also becomes a lot of it will becomes a two character yes. show, the push and pull between these two. And and Jamie Bell is always good. He's just a great character actor. He's been good in everything he's ever been in. He plays like a sweetheart good guy really well. Here he plays a grizzled, nasty, you know, outlaw with a lot of depth and weirdness. And I thought that the two of them were wonderful together. Yeah, because the more it goes on, as she starts showing her metal. He starts with offers about, hey, maybe we can team up. And, of course, you don't know. Is, is he just sweet-talking yeah, her yeah. to get her to, to let him free? Or maybe because she is kind of a badass here. Yeah, she She's is. showing she can handle herself, and maybe he does really want to team up. So, yeah, it's interesting. And like we said, good westerns are always welcome. And this one is available on VOD. It's on Prime. 
It is. Right, on Prime right now. Uh, mentioned director, the director, Anthony Mandler. Writers are uh, Andrew Pagana and Justin Thomas. So overall, decent job. Oh, yeah, I decent liked it a job. lot. I really liked it a lot. solid Western with solid performances and some good action and thoughtful thoughtful themes and thoughtful dialogue. So check it out. It's on Prime now called Surrounded. Got a Spanish-language drama thriller next that exposes the fault lines and schisms of contemporary Mexican society. It's called The Hole in the Fence. I recuerde, postura, puntualidad, penitencia. Okay, well, that, that's not much of a synopsis. No. But, uh, <laughs> here's the deal. This is a co-writer and director, Joaquin Del Paso, and it's set in an exclusive camp, Catholic camp, for boys Mm -hmm. and it's meant to be to integrate them and teach them lessons about to help them go on and be the next the next generation of mexican elite because most if not all save for one of these boys comes from a very rich and privileged background Mm -hmm. Uh, one is there on scholarship and he is singled out right away because from the very opening once they get off the bus and they're giving the given the introductory speech by the priests and the the elders that are overseeing this camp they're told, they're warned of the community, the village, the people outside the camp, outside the fence, and basically how un- much unworthy they are. And these kids, these boys should watch out. Um, and then you see a hole, an actual hole in the fence, which is very metaphorical, one of the very clear-cut metaphors when the teachers stop and show the boys the hole in the fence, then it's it, it's very clear what's being said here is, look, look. The danger, not only is there danger about who can come in, but look how quickly someone can slip to the side of the the unworthy. You know, you want to protect your status here on this side of the fence. That's pretty clear from early on in the film. Right away, the boys, very Lord of the Flies style, they start zeroing in on any weakness Mm -hmm. in the ranks. Mm -hmm. One, well, the boy's not rich. He's on scholarship, so he singled him out. One boy is there. He's had some sort of accident. They never really do explain it. He's in a cast. He's in a walking boot. He's in a neck brace. But still, he's at this camp. His parents still had to send him, you know, to be an elite and then there's one boy who's a little too sensitive, if you get my drift, may or may not be gay. So we can't have any weakness in the ranks. And so those themes of toxic masculinity and how it begins are very clear. How also, it's nourished by the how Catholic Church. How it's nourished, exactly. Religious hypocrisy, because some of the things that these priests and elders are teaching, wow, what would Jesus do? Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, those are very, very clear. But it's still, it still does work. And as as things go on and, and the main narrative, most of it takes place with the boys and their struggle. Then you start seeing the priests and the elders and, and uh, things, words get dropped about maybe some other incidents that have gone on in the past. And then one of the campers goes missing and you they, you start to bring in the the men, the older men, the teachers from the periphery into the more of the main the main story and it gets a little disturbing in fact there's one shot and I will give the director a lot of credit Joaquin del Paso one long extended take set by the side of a highway that's really chilling and how he just leaves his camera there and, and just lets it sit and what you see and what you don't see it's 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 pretty chilling and very effective for this movie otherwise it's pretty Otherwise, the themes are pretty heavy-handed. Not a lot of nuance here. We we've seen this type of territory before. It's not it's not bad, but but maybe a little more soft peddling would have been more effective. But it's still it's well done. The cast is is a good. All these kids, 
are, are good young actors, and uh, it, it takes these themes that are pretty universal and focuses on them just this this group of people in this very confined area. So that does make it more intimate, but you won't. It's it's not necessarily profound, groundbreaking, groundbreaking, but it's still it's still a, a, a good job. And and again, that that one that one shot is very effective. Uh, near the end. So um, not great, right, not groundbreaking, but a decent uh, drama called The Hole in the Fence, which is available now. It's been it's been around for a couple of years, but now getting a, a wider release in theaters now. And one more, a drama on VOD. When two people are brought together from completely different walks of life, it can make for awkward circumstances, especially when they both have their secrets. This is called Makeup. Uh, we don't need any more food, thanks, but I will take another bottle. Two bottles. Thank you. No, so, sorry. Uh, I, ju- I just wanted to say hello to Dan, actually. Do you know my dad? Oh, uh, yeah, guys, this is Sasha. He just moved in with me. Moved in? What? Like a partner? You have become somewhat of a distraction in the office. This is from co-writer and director Hugo Andre, and it's one that was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Tori Haynes, and she thought it was it came up a little disappointing. Yeah, and you know, I, I think especially I did as well from the trailer. I had kind of high hopes. It's about two roommates, and one is dealing with a, a disability that is making life difficult for him, and the other is Mister Toxic Masculinity himself, who is in fact a transitioning woman. Um, and so, you know, it's about and, and of course, the trans woman is sort of found out by this group of people. And, uh, and, and, and it kind of parallels the struggles of the two characters. And then eventually their relationship becomes kind of the main focus. But it, it's so much it's so unbalanced. Uh, it's it's that you feel uh, like maybe the script needed another pass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so it's like really worthy of a film, this particular film just didn't work out all that well. Yeah, and you can read Tori's full review at madwolf.com. That's called Makeup on VOD right now. All right, well, the Schlocketeer on vacation this week, mm-hmm. so we'll just go ahead and look at what is coming next week. A big one that we we got to see last week or so, and it'll mm-hmm. be fun to talk about this. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is opening next week. Also a new animated adventure, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. <laughs> Teenage Kraken. <laughs> uh, also one called Prisoner's Daughter. Chili 76. Blue Jean. Montreal Girls. And Confidential Informant. That is all next week. But what do you think about this week? Asteroid City, you like Wes Anderson or Jennifer Lawrence, J-Law, and No Hard Feelings or some of the smaller movies? Always fun to talk about it. Keep the conversation going. Easy to find us on Twitter. That's at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. That's MadWolfColumbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch. We hope you will. Have a great week. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>